Yo, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. I'm Patrick, and this is a three-game winning streak edition of the Oakland Warriors podcast. I can't believe after all those dynasty years, getting three wins was so hard. I mean, I guess I can believe it because if you've watched this team closely, you see how much they've had to figure out, how many new guys they have, all that stuff. But it was nice to see this whole time. It was like, oh, they need to win three games. They haven't won three games in a row all season. They had seven chances before this. And on the eighth, they finally got it. And how does that feel? Not bad. Pretty good. I don't know about you, but maybe this means they are turning a bit of a corner. You know, fingers crossed. They got Looney back. They got Wiseman back. Everybody's kind of fitting into their roles a little bit more, especially when they're playing small ball. People got more comfortable. People got playing time like like Juan Toscano-Anderson. And there's a level of comfort. Maybe, right? Hopefully. James Wiseman, again, an up and down game. He only played like 16 minutes or something. But... I enjoy those 16 minutes because you never know what you're going to get. You're going to get something spectacular. You might get a dropped pass, a bobbled rebound that gets swiped by the other team. But it's fascinating to watch somebody like that grow on a nightly basis. I'm guessing like in the next 10 to 15 games, we'll see him get more minutes. I mean, he's only played three games since missing like 11 games. So he's still learning and he's getting acclimated all over again. And I think he'll get better. You know, I mean, I have total faith in the dude, especially for next season, but on a night to night basis, it's tough because now Steve Kerr has kind of found a bit of a winning formula. And that does not mean James Wiseman's getting 25 minutes a night right now. You know, I mean, at the start of the season, he was in the starting lineup. He would get like 20 minutes. Kerr would talk about getting him more minutes, but clearly that's not the case at this point. So he's averaging fewer minutes than before. Like I said, he had 16 minutes. And previously, I think he was under 20 minutes for the last couple games. You know, he's putting up numbers. His per 36 averages are damn impressive. They're trying to find that balance. I think he'll move more in a positive direction and it'll probably get up to 20 minutes a game pretty soon but we shall see and that second unit when Wiseman is in there with Pascal that's kind of rough still I think that they're getting used to each other I think Pascal is so used to playing that small ball center and just taking his guy off the dribble and bully balling down to the basket and pump fake pump fake pump fake but with Wiseman there it's a little bit more cluttered unless you put Wiseman further out onto the perimeter, which they seem to do a couple times. I wonder how that'll work out if they'll work out the the kinks. It's too bad too, because against the Hornets, everybody knows Eric Paschal loves to go at PJ Washington, a guy who was drafted ahead of him and he's owned PJ Washington in a lot of ways. But now because Wiseman's in there, he has to play power forward. So Wiseman gets P.J. Washington, and vice versa. In terms of James Wiseman's hands, the much-talked-about hands he has, I think they're fine. 
He's catching stuff. He has good touch around the basket. There's still times where he will drop a pass or if a pass is too hot, it'll fly through his hands. He needs to work on his rebounding, yes, but I think his hands are just there. I mean, we're seeing him have better hands more and more. Like he's not a Donald Foyle with his hands. He's not Damian Jones with his hands. So any anybody that compares those two guys, Jones and Wiseman, is just <laughs> angry and ridiculous. But hey, the whole James Wiseman development thing, that is still the most interesting thing about this season to me. It sucks, though, that just as the Warriors are turning a corner, maybe, they're running into kind of a buzzsaw of a schedule. They got the Lakers coming up, then they, that game's in Los Angeles, then they go to Portland, a team that has a bunch of injuries, but still, then they play at Phoenix, then they play at the Clippers after the All-Star break, and then they get Utah at home. And then the Lakers at home. And then they have like Houston, Memphis, Memphis. It's kind of a buzzsaw of Western Conference teams that are, you know, better than the Warriors in theory. Just as they could have run up the record if they had beaten the Magic, beaten Charlotte that first time around. There's a chance they could go in the hole, you know. So that's going to test their metal, their psychology. If they lose a bunch of these and then, I mean, hey, they could easily be under 500 pretty soon. (laughs) So how will all these good vibes and all this positivity be looking then? And I got to say, Draymond Green is looking pretty good out there. I mean, he said a couple weeks ago that he'll need two or three weeks to get back into shape. And I think he's saying that he is and he looks good. Um He's definitely leaning into the skills that make him a unique player, right? He obviously isn't trying to score very much, but, you know, he's getting his layups. He's hitting a three every now and then. I mean, not at a reasonable clip, but he's not just passing the ball off like a Dennis Rodman every time he catches it. But at this point in his career, he's like, I am great at these things, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. So, Not the scoring, but the passing, the leadership, the defense, the just kind of barking out orders and getting the team hyped up. That's what he's great at. On the broadcast, they compared him to Dennis Rodman and Ben Wallace. But, I mean, the difference between them and him is that Draymond's running the point. Like, those guys were just basically zeros on offense. Awesome on defense, great rebounders etc. But Draymond is playing point guard. He's running the team. You know, he's bringing the ball up the court. He's initiating. That's what makes him such a strange, strange, awesomely unique player. So when somebody says, oh, he's not putting up points, he's a liability, his temper, he can't keep his mouth shut, all that stuff, that's from the outside. Or those are people just looking for a story. Because if you're a Warriors fan, I'm sure... You know what he brings. Yes, his outbursts can be detrimental to the team getting a win or even a, a win in the in the finals. But this version of the Warriors that we've seen for the last six, seven years, he's critical to it. If he's not on this team, then who's leading it? Again, Steph leads by example. If he's more vocal this year, that's great. But like, who is really pushing and giving that attitude and giving this team its soul? Another dude that's impressed me is Kelly Oubre. As I've said many, many times before, I don't know if they'll be able to keep him 
if he's playing this well, it's like you want to trade high, sell high, get an asset for him so he just doesn't walk as an unrestricted free agent. But I also see that if you trade him now as the Warriors are trying to get an identity, I mean, if you trade him for an asset rather than like a a player that fits a need, that's going to be like a gut punch to the team, to the morale. That's going to feel like you're mailing it in. I think Ubre fits with this team. He's clearly learned how to play with Steph a lot more, and he's going to continue to get better with that. His defense is super important for this team. The fact that he's hitting threes, that's huge. And the fact they have his athleticism, I mean, that dude is like the fastest dunker on the team. His 7-3 wingspan gets the ball to the rim twice as fast as anyone else, it feels like. But the bottom line is, does the money make sense? If the Warriors go in the hole and all of a sudden things are looking bleak, which could easily happen in the what have you done for me lately NBA, then that chatter will start up again, especially after the All-Star break. So it really depends, I think, on the Warriors' record, how they do in the next several games before and immediately after the break. Because if there's a lot of negativity, if there's like, oh man, I don't... I don't know if we can make the playoffs or, you know, we're three games under 500 and looking up at the up at the standings, then they might want to make a move. But if you're like in the middle of the pack, if you're like fighting for the number five seed and scaring the number four seed, then how can you trade the guy unless you're getting somebody who will vastly improve the team? And right now, Ubre as a wing I don't know what other wing you could trade for. This was the first game where I actually really had a chance to watch LaMelo Ball play. I haven't tuned into any of his other games. I've seen highlights. I like the kid. I mean, I I think his passing is fun. I think he'll be a great player. I don't know if everyone's just a prisoner of the moment in saying that he is by far the best player in this draft. I also don't know if I'm a homer hoping too much for James Wiseman. But we'll see how it plays out down the road. I think it's too early to call, to be honest. But in three years, in five years, let's just bookmark all this talk and see where we are at that point. I will say, though, as of right now, the Minnesota Timberwolves would be way better off with him on the roster than Anthony Edwards. They would be way better off with LaMelo Ball, Andrew Wiggins, and keeping their number one pick for sure as opposed to Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, and maybe keeping their pick. But that's the fascinating thing about this pick, right? It's like, if Minnesota gets this pick, if they keep their pick this year, if they finish in the top three, that's a game changer for them. If they basically have a shot at Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, and you add that to a lineup with Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley, even D'Angelo Russell, then you have a lot of talent. I mean, they're the most talented bottom feeder team that I've seen in a while. And then that makes me actually worry about the 2022 draft, the one where the Warriors all of a sudden have the Minnesota pick no matter what, unprotected. I don't know much about that draft class, but then if that's the case, there's a good chance the pick won't be top five. They might not be good enough to get out of the top 10. They might not be good enough to make the playoffs, but they could. You put Cade Cunningham in that lineup. You put Jalen Suggs in that lineup. You make him your point guard. You put D'Lo off ball or you whatever. Try to figure out how to make them play together. I don't know. 
I mean, it's all about the culture and the coaching up there. So they have this new coach and all that weird stuff with him being hired the same day as Ryan Saunders getting fired. That's weird. But hey, if he's a good coach, then in a year, that's what people will be looking at. I really hope that the Warriors get the pick this year, this coming draft. Four or five, that would be amazing. But we'll see. And speaking of prospects and young dudes, Jordan Poole apparently is playing pretty well in the G League. I stopped watching the G League games after the first game where he looked a little overmatched playing against Jonathan Kaminga. He's put up a bunch of points. He's the second leading scorer in the G League bubble, the gubble. But I was like, really? Okay. I mean, I haven't looked at his stats in terms of percentages and whatnot, but I know he's going to get shots no matter what. Like him, Mannion, that's the goal. Get these guys reps, get them shots, get them playing time. So the fact that he's putting up like 22, 23 points a game is cool, but I'm not like, okay, great. He's, he's ready. It could be fool's gold. Is his defense any better? Is his feel for the game any better? I would love to see him get a shot leading the second unit ahead of Brad Wanamaker. I mean, if you could combine Brad Wanamaker's defense with Jordan Poole's offense, then, hey, you have a really, really nice backup point guard. But you can't do that. It's been said that James Wiseman and Jordan Poole have a good rapport often on the court. Smart business decision by Jordan Poole to tie yourself to the future of the franchise. So we'll see what happens when he gets back. That is another reason to keep watching. I still believe in Nico Mannion, of course, as the future backup point guard, just in terms of running the team. If he can get his shot working, then he might be the guy down the road that jumps both Wanamaker and Poole. I mean, it might not even be Wanamaker because it might be next season and Wanamaker's on a one-year deal and it doesn't seem like he's somebody that they would sign for next season. A couple other things on this idea that Kyrie Irving is tossed out about changing the logo, which is famously known to be Jerry West or based on Jerry West for Kobe Bryant. I don't know if I really have a strong opinion either way. I don't know if it really makes a difference. I do know that it's a very unique situation because Kobe Bryant is not everyone's favorite player. He's actually pretty polarizing amongst non-Kobe, non-Laker fans. And there are probably other players that people think should and could and would be better logos. Obviously, people talk about Michael Jordan, etc. I mean, he, he has his own damn logo like on half the uniforms in the league, if not all of them, if they all have a Jordan logo. I don't know. I don't think the Warriors have one, so maybe not everyone. I don't know how that stuff works. But of course, like Kobe Bryant died in a very sad, tragic accident. So it's just, it's unique, you know? I mean, it's it's hard to say. Like, I'm very curious to see how the NBA will handle this. There's an opening because Jerry West is always said in his very self-deprecating private way that he has always been a little bit embarrassed that it's based on him and he would prefer they pick someone else. I mean, he said that years ago, I'm sure he probably still feels that way. And because he loved Kobe so much, I'm sure he wouldn't be against it. But who knows, you know, like, I'm just a guy sitting behind a microphone, been watching basketball my whole life. Do they want to change it? There's a lot to unpack with that whole idea of changing it, why, who, etc. I personally think it'd be fine if they kept it, Jerry West, you know, I guess I wasn't the biggest Kobe fan in general. I mean, I, I felt terrible. It was awful when the accident happened, but is changing the logo to commemorate his contributions to the league 
the right thing to do. Lastly, this whole thing about Jeremy Lin being called coronavirus on the basketball court. I mean, I'm not surprised, you know, shit talking is shit talking. Obviously, like, there's a good number of people that probably don't realize how hurtful that is, how painful that is, and how racist that is. That's one thing that we always have to look at, you know, people always say, be anti-racist. That's for everyone, right? We've all run into people who are a little myopic and they think being not racist only works in one direction, but that's definitely not true. It's complicated. Everything is not black and white. There is a lot of gray area, but that's just, that's just annoying. And I'm kind of glad it happened because obviously there's so few Asian folks in the NBA, but at least it's a platform where it could be addressed. That's all I have to say about that. Is calling someone coronavirus the same as calling somebody else some racial slur or a homophobic slur? If someone were to say like, oh, it's not a big deal, then those people should maybe look in the mirror a little bit and wonder like if they would like somebody telling them how to feel about something that offends them. Anyway, that's a whole complex subject and (laughs) I could go on for three hours about it, but I will not. But... I will say that's another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Patrick Epino, E-P-I-N-O, or at Oakland Warriors. Check us out at OaklandWarriors.com. And be sure to share this podcast with your fellow Warrior fan friends. The Oakland Warriors podcast is produced by National Film Society. That's it. Music in this episode provided by Paper Sun. Special thanks to Paul Amardo for production support. See you next time, and go Dubs.